Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Early in the morning, Friday the sea, it is 4.35. Got up around 4, not 4. <sighs> Generally, it's so I can do jiu-jitsu at 6 o'clock. Not sure if that's happening today just because of my shoulder. So we'll see. Anyhow, I'm up, so let's do this. I tried doing this last night, but man, I just cannot. After a certain time, my level, my quality of thinking goes down. It sometimes worries me. It really makes me think about my buddy, Michael Porman, who I had interviewed for TBI or CT and passed away. He had sundowners where, you know, starts getting later in the day, his ability to process and everything else would go down. That's kind of where I feel like I'm at sometimes. And I also understand, though, too, it's me being tired. My brain is tired. It's been a long day. Did a lot of stuff. And I'm just not going to be as fast. So I just have to accept that. Anyhow, at the end of the episode, I will share two stories from Untold Mayhem. That's going to be The Season and Dead to Me. Dead to Me, that's a title of a song by Biohazard. Not related to the story at all as far as content, but like lots of my short stories, many of the titles have been sparked by heavy metal titles. So that is one of them. The Season is an old story that I almost didn't put out in there. I almost didn't rework it. I wrote that one a long time ago, and then a couple movies came out that were pretty similar. But instead of tossing it, I just reworked it a little bit, changed it up. It has been cool to see that people are enjoying Untold Mayhem. I think I have a lot of, well, I have a lot of stuff. So I have a lot of self-doubt about everything. But definitely that one. Comparing that one to Twisted Reunion, I always put Twisted Reunion higher in my mind. It's better stories. But the reviews are just about the same. So I think they're about a 4.1 or 4.2, 4.3. Who knows? And Goodreads, I'm sure it's much lower. But. I don't go on Goodreads, so it's all good. I wasn't so sure what I was going to talk about this week. I had some requests to talk about TBI or CT. Then there's also some stuff that happened in jiu-jitsu that got me thinking. So let's just see where this goes. One reason why I talk about TBI or CT actually is more of just a coincidence. The Kindle version of TBI or CT is on sale for $0.99, cents, UK and US. And the audiobook is on sale for $2.99. Same thing with Trying to Die in the Wizard's Tower. Only 99 cents in those two countries. But fear not for all of those that live elsewhere. I am putting my books wide. I'm not sure if I'm putting all of them, but probably. I already did Grandma's House, Trying to Die in Brightside, and Try Not to Die, book three, in the pandemic. So all three of those are now wide, which means you can get them on any platform. The really cool thing is now they're all, those ebooks are also available in libraries. That's where I want them to really be available. So hit up your library, ask them for a copy of those, and the print copies too. Your library will carry them if you ask them nicely. So one of the reasons why I was thinking about TBI or CT, not only because of the trouble and difficulty thinking later in the day, another reason I want to talk about TBI or CT is I have had a couple of people reach out to me just to see where I'm at compared to when I finished writing the book. The book was released in 2021. At the end of it, I believe I was in a pretty good place. Definitely way, way better than I, I don't know. I don't know if I should say ever been, 
but probably because I was pretty damaged in a bad place from shit at a very young age. Like, I don't know, 10 or so, that's probably starting to be suicidal. So always had a lot of issues there and then shit just got a lot worse when I started getting more and more concussions. I'm not going to say that's the only reason why, but that definitely contributed. And I have all the all the brain maps to prove it and uh, hormone testing and everything else. So, yeah, so I was doing awesome. But, you know, so people reading this are wondering, like, well, is this guy going to continue to improve? Is he going to stay the same or is he going to fucking decline? Like he kind of fears but doesn't want to admit. Like That's the big fear, right? Although now I've pretty much accepted it. It's like, okay. If it happens, it happens, and shit, I got lucky with postponing it as long as I did, but who knows? If you have been listening to the podcast, you've probably heard, I talked about it a bunch, between like, I don't know, around Thanksgiving on to through January, I went through a really, really bad phase where I was super depressed, like crawling into bed, crying, just couldn't do anything, knew my day was ruined, super aggressive, super reactive just not doing well at all, was getting very worried, not only because of the situation, but then also the fear like, oh shit, what happened? Like, why is my brain health all of a sudden deteriorating? Why am I not able to handle stress? You know, what what, what the hell's going on? So for me, that was a really hard thing to deal with. But the good thing is it forced me to take a good look at myself and make some changes, right? So I had to start exercising again. That made a huge difference. Just getting that going, that was really big. Improved my sleep a little bit, which is kind of damn sense. But I improved my sleep. I went back to therapy to talk about it, to try to figure some stuff out. And I also went back to neurofeedback at Vital Brain Health in Pasadena, which has been amazing. I think last week I might've talked a little bit about my results at the halfway mark, but just where I am at mentally, emotionally, has been wonderful. I've been able to step back a little bit from myself, just kind of figure out how I want to react before I react. Not always, but I have improved a ton. Dr. Okada could also see that just looking at the brainwaves. So that has been good. But yesterday though, you know, kind of a funk yesterday. I didn't go train. So that was part of it. I didn't do yoga. I haven't been doing consistent yoga. I've been doing consistent breathing exercises that come with the yoga. And I haven't done any on my own. So there was that. There was also sleep. I wasn't sleeping as well. Even I took a little nap. That made me feel a little bit better. But, you know, just shit to be aware of. Like, okay, that's why I'm a little bit more irritable today. You know, it's not that my brain health is suddenly deteriorating in that IOCTE or anything like that. One of the best things that Dr. Lakata has really made a point of showing me was, and to address my fear, right? The fear that we're declining, you know, it's like, okay, we were here. We spent all this money, spent all this time, you know, we're cool. We're cool. We're cool. Then all of a sudden like I fucking can't handle anything. Going to kill myself or someone else, or who knows, you know, whatever's going through my mind. But he was pointing out, he's like, look, he's like, your resiliency is here. Let's say your resiliency is here. Your external demands, you know, whatever is going on in your life, maybe it's here. So you can handle this stress. If your resiliency is higher than your external demands, then there is no stress, right? Because you're you're cool. Everything's good. You're able to handle it. So, but once this starts climbing, once the holidays started coming around, once this was happening, this was happening, this was happening, this was happening, all of a sudden, like this difference, 
that stress and then I was no longer able to handle it wasn't that my brain health had gone down, just that my stress level, my my external demands had gone up so much that my resiliency couldn't handle it. So now the neural feedback is doing is raising that back up. So now it's like, okay, now I could handle this huge demand here. Still, you know, sometimes you can't do anything about those demands except deal with them, right? We can't control what's going to happen. We can't control what life is going to throw our way. So we just got to deal with them. Another thing these messages spark is how often I hear someone tell me, hey man, I love to be our CTE. I'm trying to do everything in it. Then they'll tell me their results. I was like, wow, fuck, I don't do everything in anymore. You know, I don't do the cold anymore. I don't do, I'm not practicing yoga every day anymore. I'm not, I've gone away from a lot of these things. There's only so much you can do in a day, but if brain health is super important, then I should be doing these things. And so I might, and who knows, maybe I will add some back in. Second thing, jujitsu. May not be going this morning. Feel like total wuss. I didn't go yesterday either. I let coach know yesterday. Yesterday was just going to be open mat. I was going to do yoga first, but my shoulder has been killing me. My neck is still in bad shape. And I realized like, there makes no sense to go and do that. I shouldn't go to open mat. Now, Friday morning class, I should go. Well, again, there's a word should. Anytime I use the word should, I got to look at it like, do I have to? Why am I using that word should? That's a perfectionist thing. I've always been a perfectionist. That's one of my problems in jiu-jitsu. Coach Mike Wilson pointed out some stuff. He was talking to the whole class, but then he was pointing out some stuff to me as well about needing to slow down, right? I'm moving way too much. I need to slow down and I need to breathe. So those all apply to jiu-jitsu. Those are all correct. Those are all going to help me so much once I start slowing down, just breathing, relaxing, not worrying about being perfect, not worrying about whether or not I know this move or I'm going to do it correctly in the drill or any of that kind of shit. So thank you coach for that. That that alone is big. But then realizing coming home, I'm like, I was really struggling with what I wanted to work on because I really didn't want to work on dark fairy tale. But then I was like, well, let's look at super high and I could probably do a little bit of that or like, oh, wait, no, I want to really do some of my own stuff. I deserve to do some of my own stuff. So I want to work on just one bullet or, oh, fuck, maybe I could work on our fucked up family. And, and then I just, you know, and while I'm doing that, it's when I'm doing the dishes or I'm running down doing another load of laundry or I'm doing some other shit around the house or I'm about to go get the kids and I'm thinking about that kind of stuff. So. I was like, man, I just need to slow the fuck down and just breathe and relax and enjoy what's going on and focus, right? Because when I am expending all this energy, this mental energy, all I'm doing is causing myself more stress and I'm not able to focus because of that. So I slowed down, took some deep breaths, <laughs> a lot of them, went into the sauna and just kind of thought. So instead of having to work in the sauna, I was like, okay. Let's figure this shit out. I was like, okay, the easy solution is work on trying not to die in a dark fairy tale. I'm enjoying that. I just need to focus on it. If I focus on it, if I give myself a date, like, okay, yeah, we're just going to knock this thing out. I'm going to finish the main path in, I think it's going to probably take about two more weeks, maybe not even that. My son's excited to read that pass because he's helping me with some decisions I'm not sure of yet before I ask Evan about them. And then I'll do the destinies. But maybe in between... As soon as I get that main story done and I'm waiting to hear back from Evan, perhaps I'll go work on something else for a tiny bit. That's okay. But I just can't do the two things at once. It doesn't work for me. It's not effective. But it was just cool how that message 
came across, I realized, yeah, man, I need to do that with my entire life. I've been trying to do a better job of just chilling, relaxing. On Tuesday, I went to did yoga right for dropping off my daughter in the morning. Then we had open mat. My wife showed up. We rolled for a tiny bit. Then we went to lunch. And I was really trying not to think about like, fuck, I could be doing all kinds of shit right now. This is work time, right? I already wasted my whole morning. But instead, I was like, no, I just got to enjoy this. I get to enjoy this and be present, not worry about looking at emails or think about what I need to work on. So I got plenty of stuff going on right now. Trying to adopt the perspective with all these other books too. Like, okay, those are just things that I could be excited about getting to. Instead of me being upset that I'm not getting to them, those are exciting possibilities. And again, may never see them because who knows, maybe we'll be dead tomorrow, but that's all right too. I had that nice talk with my son. Well, we talk about death all the time. Not always so much our own mortality, but just in general. But I was telling him, man, I just had a, I think it was the same day I realized I need to slow down. And I had this kind of thought often. I just don't always share it with the family. But I was letting him know and the family that if I were to die today, like, I'm cool, man. Like, I know people say that's bullshit. And once you actually die, you're going to feel different. But I don't know. I feel like I'll be all right with it because I'm super grateful that I've even had this. I'm super grateful that I've had my kids, that I've had my wife, that I've had this experience, that I've been able to live this long and also knowing like, shit, it's just not promised. So why, why try to fight something that you can't control? I'm going to do things that I can control to increase my odds of living longer, but I can't control someone getting pissed off at me and shoot me in the head or anything like that, car accidents, fucking cancer. I don't know. Maybe I could take some precautions to prevent some cancer. Who knows? But anyhow, let's get off of this shit. I'm done talking. I think I've already talked too long. What else is going on? I had an amazing talk with the PR team from Germany. We have some cool stuff planned for Death Fest and making that into a big book in Germany before it lands. Also about to start my ads in Germany, looking for newsletter subscribers, turning them onto the podcast. So, and developing that fan base, that's going to be very cool. I'm excited about that. So it's nice having something in the distance is not that far away. It's shit only five months away now, but that does give me lots of time to prepare and it feels good knowing I'm going to be hitting it totally prepared. I have a team behind me, so that should be really awesome. So that's what I'm currently at with brain health. Doing very well, but also realizing, hey man, it's, you know, I got to stay on top of it. I got to make sure my stresses don't go too high. I got to be doing the things that are helping build my resiliency, that are making me stronger mentally, physically, all that good stuff. So I am going to leave you guys with that. Remember, TBI or CTE and trying to die in the Wizard's Tower are both on sale for 99 cents, UK and US. Untold Mayhem, you pick that up, I think it's $3.99, and that one's only Amazon right now, but in June, I believe that will be going wide as well. So, all right, I hope you enjoy these short stories. This is the season, and the second story will be dead to me. All right, have a fantastic week. I will talk to you later. Peace. The Season Dylan looked out the side windows instead of concentrating on his driving. Damn, ain't no one out here. Usually tons of fools run in the street. And where are all the whores at?
Got me, D. Brad shrugged and then pointed to the garbage-strewn curb. Park right there, behind that heap. Dylan turned off the struggling engine. We shouldn't talk. I'm surprised this piece even made it here. Be happy Enrique let us borrow it. I ain't bringing my ride down here, and I know you weren't about to bring the Hummer. Hell no. It'd be up on blocks before we got out. Dylan checked the street one more time before unlocking the doors. You ready? Brad stepped out into the dark night. Smell that air. Nothing like the sweet ocean breeze rushing through Long Beach. Dylan coughed. Might smell decent if the Pacific wasn't as green as your shirt. Brad went up the staircase that led to apartment 3B. Come on, before someone sees us. Dylan stopped halfway up. Dude, this is kind of freaking me out. It ain't even nine and the streets are empty. Stop tripping, homie. Probably some party nearby. Free crack for everyone. Brad knocked and flakes of brown paint floated to the porch. A gruff voice barked. Who's there? Dylan stepped back and whispered. Is that T? Don't sound like him. It's us. Me and D. Let us in. The door opened just enough for a silver-plated barrel to point out. Let me see your hands. Dylan said, Come on, man. We're cool. Let me see your hands and then slowly turn around. Do it. Now. They completed their spins and the door opened. The brawny black man waved them inside with his gun, shut the door behind them, and slid the deadbolt. Dylan asked, What's up with the new security procedures? You get Jackson's last week? Brad nodded at the 45. Yeah, put that thing away, bro. You know we're cool. Tyrone eased the gun into the waistband of his jeans. I don't trust anyone, especially crazy-ass white boys. That's how people get killed. Damn, it's like that, Brad said, pretending his feelings were hurt. Well, I guess we should get down to business. You don't have a problem with white boys' money, do you? Never had a problem with that. Tyrone peeled back the front window's curtain. Would you guys ride in? The primered Ford out front, Brad said. No wonder the cops didn't turn you around, Tyrone said, more to himself than his company. You two have a seat while I get your stuff. Same amount? Yeah, a quarter pound. Dylan said. That should last us till next week. <laughs> That's four grand. You cool with that? Dylan joined Brad on the couch. We gotta see it first. Sit tight and I'll be right back. Whatever you do, don't open that goddamn door. Dylan waited for Tyrone to leave the room before he whispered. What's up with your boy? Why is he all uptight? First off, he isn't my boy. Brad said. We're cool, but that's it. Probably had a bad deal earlier. That's why he doesn't want us getting the door. I don't know. He's high strung as hell. Don't need him waving that gun around when he's like this. He'll be alright. Just chill. Tyrone re-entered the room and tossed a ballooned plastic sandwich bag onto the coffee table. Check it out. Prime stuff. And I packed it fat. Brad opened the baggie and inhaled. Ah, that's nice, Dylan said, 
Looks good, T. Yeah, we like it. But four grand is kind of steep. Can't cut us a break? Brad asked. This ain't a swap meet. Take it or leave it. Brad bounced the bag in his palm. Four thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. Not even sure we got that much. Well, that's a lot of blitz. Don't pretend like you don't have it. Dylan's smile gave it away. Brad told him, Pay the man. Tyrone sat in the chair opposite the couch and counted the bills Dylan handed over. Well, it was nice visiting, but don't you guys think you should haul ass? What's the rush? Dylan asked. It's barely nine. We're big boys. No curfew in college. I'm getting out of here. Should have already been gone. Got to get to my girls. Brad made a whipping motion. Whipsh. Whipsh. You guys are idiots. I ever tell you that? Every week, Brad said. How about we smoke real quick before we jet? You know, try the goods. Don't think so, fellas. You gotta go. Come on, brother, Dylan begged. Just one bowl, we swear. Yeah, one bowl. Come on, dog. I'm running a business, not a crack house. Take that crap somewhere else. All right, so let's talk business. Forty bucks so we can get lit real quick. You dudes are crazy. You want to smoke now? Brad pulled a small glass pipe from his front pocket. Hell yeah. We got a deal? Thought you guys didn't have any more cash. I just remembered we had a little left over. Forty each, and you leave the second you're done. No bullshit. Cool. Give him the money, D. Why do I always gotta pay? Because I don't have any cash on me. Just pay him and give me your lighter. Tyrone took the money and watched as they took turns ripping hits off the pipe. He waited until the bowl was burned to ask, You guys really don't have any idea what day it is, do you? Sure. Brad packed another bowl. It's Tuesday. Nah, man, I think it's Wednesday. Dylan said, yeah, it's Wednesday, I bet. Tyrone shook his head. It's Tuesday. Brad smacked Dylan's shoulder. Told your stupid ass, Wednesday. What an idiot. I meant the date. What's today's date? Brad set the pipe down and pulled out his phone. It's the first, August 1st. Doesn't that date mean anything to you? Both boys shook their heads. You guys never watch the news? Brad said, That shit's too depressing. And boring. Can't stay awake watching that crap. Well, let me give you a clue. Today is the start of a certain season. Any ideas? Dylan bounced on the couch. Oh, shit, that's right. It's hunting season. I forgot all about it. Damn, you're right. Can't believe I forgot. My dad was just cleaning up his guns. He's got the fridge packed full of beer, too. Dylan asked, Why didn't you go with him? Man, I want to like you can't believe. But I still got over a year before I hit 21. You're lucky. You only got a couple more months. Shit, you might be able to catch the end of this season. When's your birthday? Day before Halloween. I ain't spending that kind of cash for two days of hunting. 
Plus, my dad isn't into that. Says he's against the hunt. Bullshit. He's just scared of getting shot. No way. Dylan thought about it and a smile crept across his face. Yeah, you're probably right. It's not like he gives a rat's ass for them. Brad stopped chuckling when he realized Tyrone was glaring at them. What? What's wrong now? You're too uptight, man. I'm just dumbfounded that you admitted that in front of a black man with a gun. You must be high. Dylan burst into laughter. Dumbfounded. Dumbfounded. Who the hell says dumbfounded? Big deal, Tyrone. The hunt's cool. It's always on the news. Helps the government, too. What's wrong with being patriotic? Brad asked. Dumbfounded. Brad elbowed his friend in the side. Chill, dude. Patriotic. You want to help the government? Tyrone said. Why not donate money? I'm not giving money away. And neither is my dad. It's our money, and we'll spend it how we want. How'd your dad earn his money? The war, right? I guess. And your dad? He asked Dylan. Something with the trade embargoes practically made him a billionaire overnight. Hard-earned money. <laughs> While the rest of the country is sunk in poverty, a handful of rich pricks like your daddies and the rest of your neighbors make it big. Capitalism at its best. And you guys think that's fair? Think that's cool? I ain't complaining, Brad said. Dylan laughed. Tyrone pulled the gun out of his waistband and set it on the middle of the coffee table. Dylan stopped laughing. Tell you what would be fair, Tyrone said. Whoever gets the gun and shoots the other two gets to live. How's that for fair? It's right between us. Both of you are just as close as I am. Brad held up his hands. Hey man, relax. We're just joking around. No need to get so serious. Hunting season is as serious a subject there is. It's only three months long, Dylan said. Yeah, and guess why they picked August through October? You high sons of bitches got any idea? No? Well, May through July are the months with the highest birth rates, so they're killing two birds with one stone. Neither of them said anything. Are you too retarded? Or do you just not care? I'm high as what I am, Brad said. And this is too confusing. Hunting season is what it is, and talking about it ain't going to change nothing. Got to deal with it, that's all. Tyrone shook his head. You guys do know this is a DHZ, right? Hunting season started 20 minutes ago. Dylan turned to Brad. Dude, we didn't just put ourselves in a hunting zone. Holy shit. You gotta be kidding, right, Tyrone? Afraid not, Brad said. You're just trying to scare us. We're not in any danger. Think what you want, but it's time for you guys to go. You serious? You're gonna throw us on the street? Damn straight, Dylan said. Dude, we're high. I didn't make you smoke. You begged me. Shit. Well, let us stay a couple minutes. Try to get our heads right. Brad fished out his wallet and pulled out a $100 bill. Come on, at least let us watch the news. Tyrone ripped the bill out of Brad's hand and stuffed it in his pocket. 
Funny how you just keep finding money you swore you didn't have. You can watch the news until 9.30 and then you're out. It didn't take long to find a news station covering the hunt. The female reporter said, And just one more reminder, hunting season will start in two and a half hours. Dylan smacked the couch. We still got time. Let's go. Tyrone said, Notice how it's still light where she is. This is the five o'clock replay. Back in the news studio, the anchor man said, And this season, a record number of licenses have been sold, more than the last three years combined. The White House announced earlier today that at this rate, the deficit will be erased in another five years. Wow, that's great news, John, the blonde anchor woman said. And for those of you hunters out there, here is a map of all the Southland's designated hunting zones. As you can see, Pasadena had the most exterminations last year with 3,967, Compton was second with 2,676, and El Monte close behind with 2,602. Dylan clapped Brad on the back. Check it out, Brad. 576. That's nothing. Long Beach is one of the lowest up there. The studio had turned to another correspondent in the field. The reporter stood next to an older white man, clad in black, who was inspecting weapons and placing them in the back of his SUV. I'm sure most of you recognize this man. He is Ed Danbury, last year's winner. Not only did he beat out all the California hunters, Mr. Danbury outhunted the entire nation, earning himself a free, unlimited license for this season and a sizable cash prize of $5 million. Mr. Danbury stopped what he was doing and interrupted the reporter. I spent $11 million on all those licenses. I don't want to appear ungrateful, but it seems like they should have at least given me my money back. The reporter said, Well, you won't be spending any money this year. Unlimited pass. No heading back to the government center after every 50. With your kind of numbers, that must have been quite a few trips. 11 trips. 546 kills. Exterminations. The reporter corrected. 546 exterminations. That's something else. The majority of them were in Compton last year. What about this season? Heading back there? Nope. That's exactly what they're expecting. El Mane, Compton, and Pasadena are going to be on lockdown. You won't find a soul on those streets, and every door will be double locked. I'm going to Long Beach. He returned to loading his vehicle. Easier to contain. Not afraid of ruining your chances at the record by giving away your strategy? Danbury set the assault rifle on the pile. I thrive on competition. I encourage everyone to come on down. You new guns need to be careful, though. Probably be best to stay by the city limits and wait for people trying to sneak through. Do that, and we can all have a great opening night. Brad turned to his friend. You still think we're safe on those streets? We're screwed. We can't leave here. Tyrone turned off the TV and picked up the gun. But you're going to. You guys don't have to go home. But you got to get the hell out of here. Just so you can get some ass? Let us stay here, Dylan said. You're dumber than I thought if you think I'd risk running these streets for a piece. Her place is well fortified. The basement's got a steel door no honky's getting through. And if they do get through, I'm taking a couple of them with me. 
Take us. We'll pay you. Brad said, I got enough of your money. Get up. Dylan said, You gotta. You gotta take us. I don't have to do a damn thing. He leveled the gun at them. What you need to do is get up and get out. I've already wasted too much time with you. Brad could barely stand. All the strength seemed to have left his legs. Dylan wasn't looking much better. Head to the door, Tyrone ordered, the gun still trained on them. Brad said, How about we stay here? We won't mess anything up. I don't want you to. And it wouldn't do you any good anyway. Someone will bust through that door before morning. Dylan stood in front of the door. It's better than being out there. Tyrone pushed the door open. You're probably right. But I don't care. You guys have spent so much time acting black. It's about time you live it. On the porch, Brad said, That's messed up, man. I thought we were cool. Wrong. Tyrone slammed the door shut and threw the deadbolt. The bang echoed down the street. Halfway down the stairs, a spotlight illuminated them. Brad shielded his eyes and rushed down the staircase. Dylan pounded on Tyrone's door. Brad yelled, Get down here, D. Come on! The spotlight was coming from the intersection where men were talking and a truck started. Come on, Dylan. They're coming. Get in the goddamn car. Dylan ran down the stairs. The truck headed toward them, less than half a block away. The truck was still about 20 yards away when Dylan reached the car. He tried to open the driver's door, but it was locked. Brad yelled for him to hurry. Gunfire erupted, and a bright stream of red exploded from Dylan's forehead. Bullets ricocheted off the car's roof. Brad ran to the next car and ducked below its windows. When the truck headed past him, Brad scrambled back the way he had come and hauled ass. Someone spotted him, and the truck took off in reverse. The crack of gunshots echoed in his ears, but he made it to the corner without being hit. After two blocks, Brad's legs felt like rubber. His lungs were on fire. He didn't know where he was heading, and the truck was less than a block behind him. He was deep in the city and couldn't make it out running. There was also nowhere for him to hide with the truck's spotlight illuminating the street. When Brad rounded the next corner, he couldn't believe his luck. Parked in the middle of his street was a silver suburban with the unmistakable license plate, Got Paid. His father was here. The truck squealed around the corner. Brad waved his arms in the air as he sprinted towards his father's vehicle. It's me! It's me! The driver's door opened and his father popped out with his rifle on his shoulder. The blast blinded Brad and knocked him flat on his back. His blood streamed toward the storm drain as his father laughed and told his partner, Not a bad start. Keep this up and I'll get my 50 by next week. Dead to me. Leonard stared at the red left turn arrow, wishing he could will it green. He was running late, and, judging by the thick layer of snow accumulating on the Chevette's hood, he had spent about five minutes waiting to get through the light. This was what he got for leaving his house on Christmas Day. New York City traffic was always bad, but on holidays it was unbearable. He had tried explaining that to his mother, 
but she argued he lived less than five miles away and could walk it in an hour. If he couldn't make such a short trip to spend the day with her, he wasn't fit to be called her son. Christmas used to be his favorite time of the year, the entire day, just him and his mother, eating cookies and sipping cocoa. But things had changed. Although he still loved his mother, he was always on edge around her, praying she wouldn't make him mad. Ever since he turned 44 in August, his tolerance for his fellow man, which had truthfully never been that great in the first place, had rapidly deteriorated. The slightest things enraged him, and instead of letting things slide, he was quick to act. Leonard looked out the passenger window to see if those lights were still green. The idiot in the lowered Honda next to him was creeping into the intersection, angling his front bumper into the left turn lane. Leonard glanced at the teenage driver to see if he was really intending to cut him off. The guy wouldn't look in his direction as he inched forward until both front tires were in the crosswalk. Leonard checked his rearview mirror for cops. He sat up in his seat and looked across the intersection. There was a homeless man standing on the corner imploring generous souls for cash. The passing cars were finally coming to a halt. No cops anywhere. He didn't want to have to handle this himself, but he had no other choice. The light turned green, and the Honda shot into the intersection, whipping into the space Leonard Chevette would have been in if he had tried to race the guy. Instead of following the painted arc, the Honda sped toward the corner as if the light post was a giant magnet drawing it in. With a thundering boom, the car plowed into the light its front end hugging the thick, immovable post. Once he was certain there wouldn't be an explosion, Leonard ignored the yellow light and entered the intersection. The Honda's rear end obstructed all of the right lane and part of the second. With some skillful driving, Leonard managed to squeeze past the wreck without damaging his paint job. The beggar was pinned between the pole and the car, his chest and head lying on top of the crumpled hood, how tragic that an innocent person had to be killed in such a needless accident, just because some idiot was trying to save time. Now that imbecile's head was stuck to the shattered windshield, his smashed face embedded in the safety glass. Whether the punk was rushing to some Christmas party or hurrying to church, he should have been more considerate. Leonard had witnessed dozens of fatal accidents in the past month, four just this morning and absolutely none of them were caused by a considerate driver. All of the drivers could have prevented their deaths if they had been so careless and irresponsible. The accident was completely forgotten by the time Leonard turned onto his mother's run-down street with its dilapidated houses, most the size of his one-bedroom apartment. He wished he could afford to move her into a nicer neighborhood, but that dream went out the window when he lost his job at the post office back in July. Leonard drove several blocks past his mother's house before he found a parking spot. He walked back to her house, carrying her present with both hands, thinking about his new custodial engineer position and just how unfair it was. He arguably had the hardest job at the law office, yet he was lowest paid and received absolutely no respect. The people in charge had no idea how difficult and unpleasant his position was, much less how indispensable. No one there ever picked up after themselves, and he was positive no one would show up for work if he neglected the filthy floors and allowed the trash to accumulate. 
Custodians should bring home more than what those sharks did. But he would have been more than happy to make what he had at the post office. All the wishing in the world wouldn't get him a raise. Leonard cleared his mind and rang the doorbell. In the minute it took his seventy-year-old mother to shuffle to the door, he imagined all the terrible, hurtful things she might say. If he fortified himself by mentally abusing himself before she could, it took some of the sting off her cold comments. He couldn't allow himself to get mad at her. Not on Christmas. The door opened. There was her scowl, her round, wrinkled face, surrounded by her halo of wispy white curls. She swiveled her body just enough so he could squeeze by, shoving him into the house. You're letting all the damn coal then. Hurry up. Good to see you, Mom. She slammed the door behind them and waddled into the living room. Mumbling loud enough for him to hear, she said, 4.30. Now respect. Wait on Christmas. Sorry, Mom, but traffic was real bad. She plopped onto the swished side of the flowered couch, the plastic cover crinkling. You've used that excuse for the last four weekends. She nodded toward the package he was still holding. Put that on a table. Leonard set her presents on the coffee table. There were a couple accidents. People died. You've used that, too. Funny how many people are supposedly dying when you're on the streets. I'm not lying. Oh, you would never lie to me. Sarcasm was his mother's favorite friend, a sharp knife she loved to twist and turn. Leonard took a deep breath and counted to five, blew it out. I lied once. You mean I caught you once. That's all it takes to destroy trust. It was one time. I was embarrassed. You should have been. You were warned about doing that sort of thing. She grimaced, shook her head, those curls bouncing. Disgusting. It made me sick. I was twelve. Curious, he said absentmindedly. All his life, his mother and others always said that he made them sick. He had never taken it literally. But maybe he should have. You should have known better and shouldn't have lied. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Well, I'm not lying about the accidents. Of course you're not. But that doesn't change the fact that the food's cold now. You cooked? Cookies. They were warm 30 minutes ago. I like them cold. Then get them. You know where the kitchen is. The cookies were lined on a tray. Thick blue and pink frosting. No question they were store-bought. Leonard took a bite out of a blue one used his tongue to wipe the frosting from the roof of his mouth. He told himself his mother meant well. Her coldness was a result of the cancer. She wasn't always this mean. And even if she had been, she had the right to be cruel every once in a while. She raised him on her own, and he wasn't the best child in the world. Instead of causing her more heartache, he ought to thank her for all the sacrifices she had made for him over the years. I didn't tell you to bring the whole tray. I don't want any. Leonard set the tray on the coffee table and eased onto the recliner, a cloud of dust puffing up around him, but it was still better than sitting on the stiff plastic covering the sofa. Put them back, I said. Maybe I'll eat them all. You are fat enough as it is. I'm just a little pudgy, Leonard said. Pudgy? Ha! You are fat. That's probably why you're not married. 
That's not why, Mom. Because you're fat and you like to touch yourself. Leonard sighed. One time. It was one time. Then why'd you lose your job for stealing those nudie magazines? Because you touch yourself, she said, shivering in disgust. I didn't steal anything, Mom. Leonard pinched the webbed area between his thumb and pointer finger, while in his mind chanting, Om. To his mother, he said, Frank was a goddamn liar. You watch your mouth on Christmas, she said with a huff. I'm sorry, but he had it in for me. He said all Italians were idiots. Seeing she didn't take the bait, he added, and that Sicilians were the worst. Ah, convenient. What? Calling a dead man a liar. Someone who can't deny it. It had been stealing because Leonard only took home the Playboys and other adult magazines that had been deemed undeliverable. Think what you want, then. I know it wasn't stealing. Yeah, they just fired you over here, say. And maybe you quit. Thought you'd be more fulfilled as a janitor. Mailman to mop boy had not been an easy transition, and she knew it. All those mind-numbing hours pushing a broom, cleaning toilets, emptying waste cans, picturing Frank's stupid fucking face and muttering to himself, you're dead to me, dead to me, dead to me. He repeated this mantra all of July until the third Saturday of August. It was ten minutes after six, the start of Leonard's shift, and a few hours after the firm's retirement party for the number two partner ended. Vomit in the sinks, diarrhea in the toilets, used condoms in the boardroom. That had been the moment everything changed. A new level of hatred, as Leonard chucked the trash can across the lobby, forgetting it was full, beer bottles and wine glasses shattering on the tile. Never before had he hated someone with such intensity. You gonna just sit there? His mother asked, interrupting his thoughts. Don't tell me you're on drugs. No, Mom, just thinking about Sunday's paper, how it listed Frank's time of death at 6.10 Saturday morning. Well, all that heavy breathing makes it sound like a stuffy bear. You having heart problems? Nope, and neither did Frank. Death was attributed to natural causes from one of the healthiest guys Leonard knew. The same went for his high school bullies, Tommy, Leroy, and Richard were six feet under after Leonard focused on them for two weeks. The breathing keeps me calm. Been practicing it in yoga. She cackled. You? Yoga? I stream classes on my laptop. You wear leg warmers? Leonard didn't blame her for laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctor's orders, Mom. You said your heart was fine. It's just an expression. It's what I need to stay calm. And what good does that do you? Never heard of anyone doing anything worthwhile by staying calm. Experiments on a couple of choice teachers convinced Leonard it wasn't a coincidence. By the end of September, his powers were so polished, he took out each new subject within two days. Learning to harness the hatred had radically sped up the process. I can be dangerous if I'm angry. She rolled her eyes. Did you start taking karate? During October, he honed his methods and could eliminate someone in under an hour. In November, he was down to ten minutes. 
but he was finding it more and more difficult to find people that had really pissed him off. He'd even brought out all his yearbooks to jar his memory about any wrongdoings. November saw the advent of the 32nd termination, something Leonard was incredibly proud of. December was when the problem began. He had sharpened his mind into a perfect scythe, yet he lacked control. If Leonard didn't have his guard up, the slightest thing would set him off, and if he was set off, the offender was instantly dead. Why do you even come over if you're just going to sit there? Leonard shoved the anger down. Come on, it's Christmas. So? What does it matter what day it is? You'll always be a disappointment. Her face turned a bright red, whether it's Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, or if it's Easter or Christmas or Veterans Day. You'll always be you. I wish you would never... Stop! Leonard shouted a fraction of a second before his mother collapsed on the couch, the impact of her head a dull thud on the armrest. Leonard unclenched his fists and took five deep breaths, walked over, and closed those anger-filled eyes. He picked a pink cookie off the tray and devoured it, with a reminder he could not risk hating himself. He wasn't sure of the scope of his newly developed power, but it was still way too unpredictable to risk turning on himself.